0: Well, it has certainly been a blessing to be with you folks these days. Come back down here again and fellowship together and open the Word of God. I'd like for us to turn this morning to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. And we'll read verses 34 to 40. When the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they gathered themselves together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love... The Lord your God, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, this is the great and foremost commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You that we're alive. We thank You that we were created. And we thank You that we were recreated and made new in Christ. And we ask You, Lord, to help us today. Help me to speak truth. Confirm it by Your Spirit. Change us. Conform us to the image of Christ. Help us, Lord as we look into Your Word. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. The Bible says some incredible things about love. And I think that in general, uh, we tend to miss a lot of it. Um, This passage is one of them. Very far-reaching, very profound. In the text that we just read, the Lord answers the question. They said, what what is the great commandment? And he said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if he had just left it at that, we might have the idea, well, this is number one. This is the first commandment. And then you have number two and three and four and five and six and on out. But he didn't leave it at that. He volunteered something. This man didn't ask, What's the second commandment? He volunteered it. And he said, The second is like it. How is it like it? Well, you shall love. First one, you shall love. Second one, you shall love. And he volunteered the second one in order to lay the foundation for a great teaching. He doesn't want us to get the idea that here's number one and here's number two and then here's number three and four and five and so on. He says this is the first one, the great one. He volunteers the second one. And then he says, on those two hang, depend. The word is literally hang. It's the same word that's used when it talks about Jesus being hanged on the cross or the serpent that hang, that hung from Paul's hand. On those two hang... The whole law and the prophets. Alright, so what's he saying? He's saying that every other commandment is hanging on those two commandments of love. And so, um, we see something similar in Matthew 7.12, the so-called golden rule. He says, therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them, for this is... The Law and the Prophets. So you take the whole Law and the Prophets, you say this is it. This is the Law and the Prophets. So this has a number of implications. The first one is that love is the big thing with God. Love is the big thing. Now you got to listen to the whole sentence here, but I'm getting ready to say some shocking things. Adultery is not a big thing with God. Murder is not a big thing with God. Except as, I'll finish the sentence out now, except as it is a transgression of love. Because the commandment not to murder hangs on the love commandment. See, let me turn it around and say it a different way. Adultery is a very big thing with God. Because it is a violation of love. Murder is a very big thing with God because it's a violation of love. Child abuse is a very big thing with God because it's a violation of love. Seeing Lazarus lying at my gate every day when I'm a rich man and not meeting that need is a big thing with God because it's a violation of love. See, all of those things hang. Not just the commission, sins of commission, but sins of omission are still hanging on that law of love. Those two great commandments. Every other commandment hangs on love. So when God says, you shall not murder, that's hanging back on on this commandment of loving your neighbor. When He says, you shall not have idols... That's hanging back on this other commandment to love God and so on. You can go on and on. This is not just something I came up with. The Lord Jesus says this. He says the whole law and prophets hang on those two. You have those two pegs. They're the big ones. And so um, the question comes up is why is love so central? Why is that the big thing? And, of course, the answer is, the Bible says, God is love. And this is another thing. You know, in the, my book on the law of Christ, I sign the verse, God is love. A lot of times, if somebody asked me to sign the book, that would be the verse that I put there. And even as I sign it, sometimes I have the feeling, this is, you know, it's so weak. You know, God is love. That's so, You know, that's so weak. Beloved, we've lost the power. This thing is beyond our imagination, that God is love. You approach this atheist and you say, there's a God in heaven and His character, the moral character of ultimate reality is love. That's at the base. And He's given us commandments and He's given us a law and they say, what kind of law? Well, you know, I don't want a law. What, what is this law about? Well, that law is that you should love. Isn't that amazing? And you think of what the world would be like if there was no murder, and if there was no stealing, and if there was no adultery, and on and on and on. See, it's the, the God that we have is a God who's commanded us to love. Can you imagine that men would rebel against that and bow their neck against it and say, I don't want to love. And that's what men have done. Somebody said the opposite of love is not hate, itself. And that's pretty close because you've got this rich man here. Here's Lazarus out here. The opposite of love is self. He's not I don't want to give him anything. And that's why we bow our neck against the idea of law, God's law. He's just saying all he's saying to us is I want you to love one another and I want you to love me. It ought to be the most wonderful thing in the world. But we want self wants to go this other way. You know. God is love. It's not a weak thing, it's the most glorious thing you could imagine. God is, the Bible says God is just, but it never says God is justice. God is faithful, but it never says God is faithfulness. God is merciful, but it never says God is mercy. But it does say God is love. Amazing. Amazing. The God who is, is a God of love. I don't often do this. I wanted to read. I had my actually had my daughter. I didn't have the book with me. I Had my daughter take some pictures of some pages out of uh, a book. Um, this is the life of Gladys Allward. Some of you might know of her. She was a missionary um, to China and. Um, she was a single woman. She went out with a Chinese doctor who was a Christian to go up into the mountains to try to reach. They they didn't know for sure. They just knew there were people up there that they needed to reach. And uh, how many have heard of Gladys Allward? you ever heard of the little woman? She goes, she was, they went way up in the mountains. They got to where they were past any villages and they were exhausted. And they sat down on the mountainside and they prayed. And this Dr. Huang, who was uh, the the doctor she was traveling with, he prayed, Oh God, send us the one who you want us to tell about Jesus. We've witnessed to no one today. You've sent us here for some special purpose. Show us where to find the man you intend us to bless. I felt humbled and ashamed. While I had been so concerned with my own comfort, this man was concerned only with his father's business. A few moments later, I said, shall we sing a chorus? So we sat and sang, and our voices must have carried in the clear mountain air. Suddenly, Dr. Huang jumped to his feet. There is our man, he cried, and before I could stop him, he had dashed off. I sat alone, feeling very small and frail in this lonely, barren country. Finally, I saw two little specks on the mountainside. As he drew nearer, Dr. Huang kept shouting, come on up, I've found our man. But I sat stolidly on. To me, there seemed no sense in scrambling up that steep, rocky hillside. Eventually, Dr. Huang reached me and said, God obviously means us to go up, so come along. But what about our bundles? Leave them. There's no one here to steal them. Half carried and half pushed, I scrambled up and found, leaning against a rock, a Tibetan Lama priest. I stared from him to Dr. Wang. I knew that llamas were supposed to uh, be holy men, but inwardly many of them were bad, ig- immoral, ignorant, and superstitious. Did you tell him I was a woman? I demanded of Dr. Wang. Yes, but he invited you to come to spend the night in the Lama's area. I hesitated. What were we letting ourselves in for? Why should this Tibetan lama priest invite me into their sacred buildings? There's nowhere else for us to go, Dr. Wang pointed out. Suddenly the man spoke and although his accent was strange I could understand what he said. We've waited long for you to tell us about the god who loves. We've waited long. My heart jumped, and without another word, we followed our guide up the path. Then we reached the Lamasary, and I caught my breath at the beauty of the scene. The side of the mountain which we had climbed was barren, yellow, and rocky, but on this side, because there was water, the mountain was covered in rich green grass and lovely flowering vines, and at the top stood the Lamasary, imposing and stately. As we approached, my fears returned, the huge gate closed as we went in, and I thought we are in, but will we ever get out again? A party of llamas greeted us almost reverently and escorted me to a small room. Then men padded backward and forward, bringing everything they could think of for my comfort. Tiger rags, tiger rugs, sorry. Tiger rugs, cushions, water for washing, dish after dish of daintily daintily prepared food. It seemed like a dream. After our strenuous climb, I felt very weary. I'd just decided I would lie down to rest when two men knocked at the door and politely requested me to accompany them. I was joined by Dr. Huang and we were escorted through one courtyard after another until we came to a very large one. In this were 500 Hassocks made of coconut leaves, ranged in a rough semicircle, and on each of these hassocks sat a llama with his head, pious, his hands piously crossed and his head bent. We were taken to two empty hassocks in the corner and sat down. What on earth are we expected to do, I wondered nervously. These pictures didn't come through very well, so I have to guess some of these words. Dr. Huang said, now we will begin. You sang, but what shall I sing? Anything. So in a very trembling voice, I sang in Chinese, the American chorus, Glorious Freedom. A deathly silence followed. Then Dr. Huang began to talk. He told them about the baby who was born in a stable in Bethlehem. Then he told them of the Savior who died on Calvary. Now sing again, he said, so I sang and then I talked, I sang again and he talked, I sang and then I talked. Still the 500 lamas sat immobile on their hassocks. We could not see their faces, but why did they not speak or make a move to end this meeting, which looked as if it might go on all night? I was on the verge of collapse, so I said in a low voice, I will fall off this hassock in a minute. "'Then we will finish,' Dr. Huang replied, and rising we sailed out of the great hall. Later we discovered that as guests we must be the first to move. Politeness demanded that our audience sat still as long as we sat. Again, I started to go to bed but was disturbed by a knock on the door. Two priests stood outside. "'Woman, are you too tired to tell us more?' they asked humbly." Are you allowed to come into my room? Yes, if there are two of us. They came in, they listened intensely, and they went away. A few minutes later, two more came. And so it went on all night. Always the same question. Will you explain how and why he died? Will you explain how it is he could love me? These men never questioned that God was the creator of the world. They never doubted the fact of the virgin birth. They did not consider any of the miracles incredible. To them, it was the wonder of God's love which obsessed them. The story of Christ's death on Calvary filled their minds with awe and reverence. Next morning, when the priests were gathered in their temple, Dr. Huang and I had the opportunity of comparing comparing stories, and I found that the same thing had happened in his room. Here indeed were men thirsting for the old, old story of God's wonderful plan of salvation. They ended up staying for a week, and they said that they needed to leave, and she was called by herself to the head llama that they had never met. She said, I found a fine-looking man seated on a beautiful cushion with servants Uh, attending him to my amazement he addressed me in the pure mandarin chinese of peking which i understood perfectly we discussed very various things then greatly daring i said why did you let me a foreign woman come into your lamasery? why did you allow me to speak to your priest it's a long story Out on our mountainside grows a licorice herb, which my llamas collect and sell in the cities. One year the men who had taken the the herb harvest down on the mules were passing through a village when they saw a man waving a paper while he called out, Salvation free and for nothing. He who believes gets salvation and lives forever. If you want to learn more of this, come to the Gospel Hall. The lama's utterly astounded at such a doctrine took the tract and brought it back to the lamasery. I was then shown the tract, now worn and in pieces, stuck on the wall. It was a perfectly ordinary tract simply quoting John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That was all, but from it they had learned that somewhere there was a God who loved everybody read it and reread it or had it read to them. Now think of it we we take it for granted god God is love. you're not going to find that in any other religion. <laughs> The idea of a God who is love, and she goes on and tells a story. They 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 got to talk to those men for a full week, sharing the gospel with them. And what had happened was they had come back up with uh, they had found a Chinese mission station, and they had come back up with some gospels. And in the gospel, they read. The commandment going to all the world, and they said, We knew somebody was going to come. And they had waited three years, and they said, When we heard you singing, we knew that, that you had come because nobody sings but the people who know the God who loves. That's how they knew to go down and get them. Think of this <clears throat> something that we are so used to. People of another religion look at that and they say, God, a God who loves? I know we had a fellow visiting our church for a while who was a Muslim. And he actually lived in the city of Medina, which is one of the holy cities there in Saudi Arabia. And he was talking to one of the young men. And one of the young men was sharing with him the account where Jesus said, Love your enemies and turn the other cheek. And he said, he didn't say that. Let me see that. Totally different, you see. You don't see Muhammad getting down and washing his disciples' feet. You don't see the suffering servant. That's in that's in Christianity. That's the God who loves. That's where we see that. That fellow said, I need to take this home and read it. Love is the big thing with God. Religious people always are concerned about laws and rules. You think about Judas. He came in there and he, with that money he said, I've, I've betrayed innocent blood. Now here's a man on the brink of suicide. And they say, get on out. What, that, that, what is that to us? Get on out of here. And he goes out and commits suicide. Meanwhile, they're saying, we can't take this money and put it in the treasury. That's blood money. You know? we got to keep these rules. God hates that. I desire compassion, not sacrifice. You know, when, when uh, Moses was wanting to see the glory of God, let me just read it to you. Show me thy glory. <clears throat> God says, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you. So here it is. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, "The Lord, the Lord God." What's the first word? Compassionate and gracious. So I'm going to pro- I'm going to proclaim my goodness. The Lord compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. You see, I go it on and on, proclaiming the name of the Lord, yet he will by no means leave the guilty. Unpunished. See, he's not talking about mush, but the big thing is love, compassion, forgiveness, mercy. It's shocking. Love is the big thing with God. That's the first point that we learn from the Lord's teaching here in Matthew 22. Second thing is every sin is a lack of love. Every sin is a lack of love. Remember what what Jesus said. All those commandments hang on these two. It so every every sin is a lack of love. If the commandment hangs on that, so you think of your sins. Throughout the day. Maybe you get up, you don't have any desire to spend time with God. That's a lack of love. You feel cold in your Bible reading. That's a lack of love. You have unbelief when you pray. The lack of love for God. Impatience with your spouse. Lack of love. And they just go down through if you want to put all your sins in the day. You know, grumbling about the weather. Lack of love. Impatient with the driver in front of you. Jealous of a co worker who got a raise. Tempted to take some money from the cash register. Rude to a customer. I think back of my own sins as a husband and father, it's always in the realm of lack of love. As a pastor. I mean, it's always that. Vance Havner, an old Baptist preacher, he told about a pastorate that he had uh, in his early days, and uh, he said that that church that he was pastoring had had many pastors, but they always talked about one, Josiah Elliott. He said every time he'd come up, they'd talk about Josiah Elliott. And he asked one of the old men in the church one time he said, "What was it about this Josiah Elliott? Everybody everybody remembers him." And he said, "Well, he just loved us." Everybody remembered that long time after everything else. Every marriage problem Every one of them is a lack of love on the part of one or the other or both. Someone acting for self. And if you contrast all this to the work of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Just automatically, when the Holy Spirit fills you, you're full of love. I mean, you just are. I remember when I first became a Christian, I went to work. That guy that I used to work with at a filling station, that I despised before, immediately when I saw him, love. Everybody on the sidewalk, you're just feeling love for everybody. That's the fruit of the Spirit. So, every sin is a lack of love. Number three, the third implication is if you love, you will automatically fulfill every moral commandment of God just by loving. If you love, you will automatically fulfill every moral commandment of God just by loving. Now, at this point, you ought to have a bunch of red flags come up. So What? You know, if you love, you'll fulfill all the commandments just by loving? How do we know something like that? Well, you remember a certain man came to Jesus and said, what must I do to have eternal life? And he said, what's written in the law? How does it read to you? And this guy must have been an incredible Bible scholar because he, he, he said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors yourself. That's amazing that he saw that. And Jesus looked at him and he said, oh no, you've got to keep not only those two, but the third and the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, keep up. no, he said, it, you've answered correctly. You do those two things, you'll have eternal life. Do this and you shall live. Problem is, none of us have done it for 10 minutes or five minutes or 30 seconds. And even, even in your prayers, you can't pray the way We will in heaven. You can't praise the way we will in heaven. When all sin is gone, you're loving God perfectly. But that is the reality. Do this and you'll live. And the question comes up then, what is love? Here's two students living together, unmarried. They say, we love each other. Here's a guy killing elderly people. He says, that's the loving thing to do. Here's abortion. And they say, that's loving. And out, of, and out of fear of that type of thing, many people in the Reformed tradition have gone the other way and they said, Love wants to do what's right, but it doesn't have any idea what to do. And so it needs these written commandments. And there's, there's good intention in that, there's a good purpose in that. But, beloved, the Bible doesn't say that love is a motivator to keep commandments. It says, love is the fulfillment of the commandments. Love doesn't need a commandment to tell it to be patient. If you love somebody, you're patient. <laughs> love is patient. That's the way it is. And you go through those things there in, in 1 Corinthians 13, you know, it's, it, it doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It, it believes and bears all things and so on. All that is what love is. Of itself. There's one um, well-known Reformed author that I highly respect. He says, before the fall, Adam needed a commandment to be fruitful and multiply. Well, I think Adam, when he saw Eve, he did not need a commandment to be fruitful and multiply. It was a blessing. Be fruitful, multiply. It's not a commandment. And you can get this commandment-centered thing, and end up thinking that the commandments are the center of holiness, and they're not the center of holiness. Love is the center of holiness, and you can do all those rules, and do it without love, and you, you're sinning. That's the point. You really, you know, think of heaven. Do you think in heaven you're going to, there's going to be a plaque on the wall? You shall not murder. Uh, don't murder, Mark. You know. <laughs> you, I mean, think of this. It's just there. You don't need a commandment saying you you need to love Jesus. You need to love God. Get that written on the wall. You need to love God. That just flows. You see. You see you can get it the wrong way around. And people do it all the time. They say, you take all these commandments, and if you summarize them, they're a commandment to love. No, it's more than that. It's not a summary. They hang on it. They flow from it. That's the difference. Romans 13, Paul says, well, maybe we ought to read it. Romans 13 Beginning at verse 8, he says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. If there is any other commandment, it's summed up in this saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. So, it's not just the motivator, but it is the fulfillment. It's the summary, too, as Paul says. It sums it all up. It, this is the law and the prophets, but it is the peg on which they hang. So, love itself tells me not to murder my neighbor. Love itself tells me not to to steal my neighbor's wife. If I love you, I won't steal your car. It's just there. It's already there. Love tells me not to take God's name in vain. Love tells me not to make idols. If I love God, I'm not going to make a golden calf and worship it. You see, love tells me not to put a stumbling block before a blind man You see that? Here's a blind man coming along and say, let's have some fun. We're going to stick a log out there and trip him. Love tells you that. Those are laws that were all particularly set out. You remember? Love tells me not to curse a deaf man. He can't hear me. Let's have some fun with him. Love tells me not to do that. Love tells me to cover an open pit. You remember? There's a law about that. Love tells me to put a railing around a high deck. You know, somebody might get hurt. Love tells me that I need to confine an animal that's known to gore people, because it might hurt somebody. See, it goes on all through there. All of those those things hang on love. And you get to the New Testament, it's the same way. Love tells me that I ought to witness to this guy. Love tells me that I ought to give to this guy that doesn't have anything. See how it all just just flows. It flows. Some of those laws in the Old Testament, he says, you shall not take vengeance or bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as a native among you. You shall love him as yourself. For you were aliens. You know what it's like. You were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. That child that nobody sits with, love tells you to go sit down by by him and talk to him. Love tells you to do that. Love tells me to do what even the Gentiles know to do. Paul says in Romans 1, without any special revelation of God. And in Galatians 5, Paul talks about loving others for love. The whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbors yourself. So is it any surprise then that the one new commandment that Jesus gives us, there in the upper room, he says, "A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another." Not six hundred and thirteen things anymore enumerated; just one thing. He said, "He's not putting it out there as some kind of new mosaic code. He's putting it out there as a guideline." Remember, he said, "Keep this in mind. this This is the one thing." And beloved, isn't it the thing we forget so often? We get one little uh, difference between a, us and a brother. Or sister, some little area and it becomes a point of contention. We immediately forget the big thing. And that thing takes a place in our minds bigger than the biggest thing. We're so prone to forget this and go back. It's all through the New Testament, isn't it? <clears throat> First Corinthians 13, that whole love passage. Romans 13, the thing we just read. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Galatians 6, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. 1 Corinthians 8, about the meats, you know, knowledge puffs up and love builds up. Colossians 3.14, beyond all these things, put on love. 1 Timothy 1.5, the goal of our instruction The goal of our instruction is that you might know the tenth toe of Daniel's image and what it stands for. The goal of our instruction is love. 1 Peter 4, 8, Above all these things, above all things, keep fervent in your love for one another. So it's so easy to lose the most important and start to focus on a list of rules. You know, read the Bible, say your prayers, do this, do this, do this. You think of what it would be like if a husband's gone on a journey, gone for two or three weeks, and he comes home and his wife is standing at the door with a piece of paper. Go to door, greet husband, kiss husband, you know, go down through this list of rules. Even if she kept the rules, it would be an insult. Whereas if she came out of love and even forgot some of the rules, that would be better. (laughs) When God promised to write His law on our hearts in the New Covenant, what law did He write? You know, when you became a Christian, you just automatically... Not want to wear a, gar- a mixed garment, you know, with polyester and cotton or whatever. That's not the law written on your heart. The law that was written on your heart is you automatically love God. Every Christian loves God. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. That's just a name for a Christian. If any man loved not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. And all Christians love one another. We know that we pass passed from death to life because we love. Brethren, you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. A church that's full of hate is a church that's full of non-Christian. That's all that is. So love is the law that God writes on our hearts. And here's the thing, beloved, we don't have to create it, we just have to walk in it. This unity is made. It's already there. The love is already there for every Christian. And so he says, walk in this. Walk in love toward one another. Stop and think about it. That guy's a Christian. I already love him. I just need to be careful not to let any wall come between us. But why do we need commandments at all? Well, we desperately need commandments. We desperately need the commandments of the New Testament because there's still the world, the flesh, and the devil to contend with. And we have to, by reason of use, have our senses exercised to discern good and evil. It's a process. Here's a brand new convert. Paul says, let him who steals, steal no more. Well, if you're used to stealing day and night and you suddenly become a Christian, now you would eventually catch on. See, that's not loving to do that. But it helps you if you have a commandment out there and you say, well, yeah, I see that now. That's, we, we're grateful for every commandment in the New Testament and in, and in the Old. All of it. We're grateful for all of it. But it's not the center that's the thing. It's helps. It's guideposts showing us how to love. Ultimately, love is at the center. Now, I'm putting out a lot of things here for you to think about, but let me, let me just say one more thing, and this is it, it's very helpful in terms of determining what God wants me to do in a different, different situations. Discerning the will of God. In Romans 2.18, Paul says the Jew, he is instructed, being instructed out of the law, he discerns those things that are good and evil being instructed out of the law. But for the Christian, maybe we ought to look at it. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 and verses 9 and 10, he says, This I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. Very same phrase he used for the Jew. You approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law. Here for the Christian he says that your love may abound still more and more that you might approve the things that are excellent. It's love and real knowledge and all discernment. <clears throat> and this is, this is very helpful throughout the Christian life. I mean, there have been situations where somebody's funeral or something, and I think, That's, I'm gonna, I've got to dr- drive a long way to get to that. I don't know if I ought to go or not. And you stop and think of this thing of love. What, what's this going to mean you know, to this brother, sister. You, you And it's costly. But it's so wonderful, isn't it? Here's a pastor in Russia gets a care package from a group of Christians and there's food in there and different things and all these other prisoners are sitting there. What are you going to do? You're going gonna to share it with them. That's just... Guidance through your love abounding more and more as to what you should do. Dealing with the shortcomings of others. What does love tell me to do? Well, he who covers a transgression seeks love. <clears throat> he who repeats a matter separates intimate friend. So here I am, there's a situation, somebody does something against me, I remember I, I've forgotten who well, it was. One of the missionary biographies, um, maybe De Host. One of the women missionaries did something really um, rude to uh, this man, and she repented of it. And she came to his wife. She said, "I'm sure he told you what I what I did." His wife said, "No, I I didn't know about that. He didn't tell me." See what? Well, see the difference there? He's Love covering. Let me read you an illustration of this. Again, I've packed away all all my books so I don't have it. This is from um, an account from Doug Nichols who was a a missionary to India. In 1967, he was part of a group called Operation Mobilization. Doug had been on the mission field only a short time before he came down with tuberculosis. Because he had no money for better treatment, he found himself in a government-operated sanitarium. When he tried to hand out Gospels of John and other literature in the language of the people, his fellow patients tore them up and threw them in his face. No one would accept his tracts, perhaps thinking he was just another rich American. That night, Doug awoke at 2 a.m. coughing. Across the aisle, he noticed an old man trying to get out of bed. After trying repeatedly to stand up, the old man finally fell back into his bed and began to whimper in the morning a stench filled the ward and everyone was angry with him for not containing himself one of the nurses who cleaned up the mess even cuffed him on the head for what he had done the next night a similar thing happened Doug woke up coughing in the middle of the night once more he saw the old man trying to get out of bed again the man was not able to stand and began to cry softly Though he was very weak himself, Doug got out of bed and went over to the old man's bedside, placing one arm under his skinny legs and the other under his back. Doug carried him to the dirty bathroom, which was just a hole in the floor, held him in position while he relieved himself, and then brought him back to his bed. As Doug leaned forward to put him down, the man kissed him on the cheek. Completely exhausted, Doug went back and fell into his own bed. To his surprise, he was awakened at 4.30 a.m. by another patient who was with a steaming cup of tea. This man made motions to let him know that he wanted a copy of Doug's booklet, The Gospel of John. Throughout that whole day, patients, nurses, and doctors kept coming to him and asking for his literature. By noon, all 350 of them had either a Gospel of John... A gospel of Mark or a gospel booklet? Over the weeks, many came to a saving knowledge of Christ. What happened? He just loved. (laughs) It's the center. It's the center of everything. I've got several stories like that in the book that illustrate, but it's not just, you know, missionaries and what have you. People, I, I went to a man's... Funeral that, uh, just what you'd call an ordinary Christian. He was a real Christian. But his, his lost co-workers, one after another, stood up and told stories about how he loved them. That's the only thing they remembered. Said, you know, he came to my house and brought me a load of wood and such and such. And it was one after another account like that. I mean, it's so humbling. But it really is true. This really is the place where we're failing. It really is the place where we can change. It really is true that we do love one another. And it really is true that selfishness is a thing that so often is keeping us back. You know, it's costly. It really does. It costs. But it's so wonderful, isn't it? I I used As I was writing that book, some of you bought that book, as I was writing it I, if I thought of myself in terms of, did I do that, Did I keep this rule and keep that rule and keep that rule? Did I read my Bible? Did I do that? Yeah, I did all right. But if I thought, "Have I loved, as Christ love today?" <laughs> I mean, you just you're just totally falling short, totally failing. But at the same time, it's such, so liberating, so wonderful, isn't it? It's a wonderful standard. It's so different than having cold rules that we've got to follow. So different. So when we think of some of these things we've talked about <clears throat> um, in, the, in these days, like last night we talked about encouraging one another. Um, those are not rules. It's just wonderful privileges. And things that we can ask God to bring us into more. Well, love is the big thing. It really is. May the Lord help us. We get lots of opportunities for it to be tested, don't we? Put it into practice. I mean, ten minutes after we talk about it, usually we're... We're having an opportunity, excuse me, to put it to the test. Amen. <clears throat> <clears throat>